Hi, everybody. Uh, once again, this is Ken with Christ View versus Worldview. Um, as usual, <laughs> the Lord speaks to me. I don't know why, because I'm just a regular dude, but I do seek after him with my whole heart, and I am pretty diligent about it. He's gotten me to that place. He has brought me to that place. I'm not doing that anything on my own, of course, and you know that, but when I was getting ready for work a few days ago, he started speaking to me while I was still taking a shower, and, and first, you know, I just thought it was my thoughts, and I thought I was just thinking these things, kind of, but they came to me pretty quickly, and then all of a sudden, it didn't take long to realize, Lord, you're speaking to me, this, and so as soon as I got done in the shower and dressed and everything, I went into the spare bedroom, which is an office, and um, I jotted everything down that I needed to before I would forget, because I've tried not doing it before, and I don't remember, and the devil steals things away, and I've just learned to have a pen handy just about wherever I go. And I can't recall exactly the little, the three or four little thoughts right in a row that he kind of planted in me, and nor can I pretend that I saw the relevance immediately but then i started seeing the connection because he opened up my eyes and that's what i want to share with you today because it's it's really something we need to think about and the lord is telling us you know, i've observed and i'm not pointing fingers i'm not trying to be judgmental but there are a whole lot of christians or people that call themselves christians and i don't say it to be mean either but you can tell by their lives even though we're all growing we're all being sanctified and we're not all on the same level and we're different places with our walks i understand all of that but there are a lot of things that just don't add up or should be on a on another level if you're serious about your walk with christ and we have to be real concerned about that and this is what the lord is getting across to me and i'm just going to feed it to you the way he gave it to me of course with more of his word behind it he started off by reminding me of the word cessationism and i don't know if you've heard that i've heard it a few times didn't really pay attention to it much because i didn't need to know but the last year or two i've, I've seen what it meant and of course uh cessation is a ceasing of something and of course to cease means to stop so cessationism is um, the belief that something that once started or had been going on no longer is or has stopped that makes sense and whether you know the word or not it doesn't matter but I'm sure you're familiar with the concept I'll say it this way it's the it's the belief by some segments of Christianity we'll say that the miracles and the signs and the wonders have ceased um, they say that they were for the apostles only, or at the very least, they were for the very early church. And to tell you the truth, there are some scriptures where if you read them, uh, you can come to that conclusion. Um, but this isn't about cessationism. This is just about, and the whole thing is not about that, really. This is just kind of the, the springboard of the diving into point. And this is how the Lord brought it to me. And I'm too simple to do it any other way, nor do I want to change the Lord's words or his approach. So I'm just bringing it to you the way he brings it to me. Um, so I can see how that would be perceived that way, by some at least. Because up until the time that Jesus came on the scene, all the people had for 
thousands of years were Moses and the prophets in terms of a Bible or a written form of the scripture. So, that leads me to remember the reason for the signs and wonders. And, and I don't know if you knew this or not. I came across this a couple of years ago. The Lord showed it to me, and now I just happen to remember it. Okay, In Mark 16, which is the last chapter of Mark, in verse 20, which is the last verse in the book of Mark, talking about the apostles. Now, this is after Jesus went back to heaven. Okay, And it says, And they went out and preached everywhere. While the Lord, up in heaven, not physically with them on earth, worked with them, and, and here's the phrase I want you to understand, confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Okay, so the reason for the signs and wonders are not just to make everybody go, wow, you know, it's so that the, there will be uh, validity and verification to the words that were being spoken and preached. In John 4.48, the Lord says this to the Galileans. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And that goes right along with that. In other words, if I don't show you some kind of signs and wonders, you're not of the mind of faith to believe and trust in my words and what I am saying about myself and about the kingdom of God. So he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And then even in the Old Testament, the Lord sent Elijah, if you remember, uh, to a widow in the town of Zarephath to do some pretty amazing things, not the least of which was to bring her son back to life. When she saw this, she said, this famous verse, for me anyway, now I know that you are a man of God, that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. So you can, can you see the progression? First, they went out everywhere and preached while the Lord worked with them to confirm their message, the message he had entrusted to them and to us by accompanying signs. Okay, then the next verse in John 4 says, unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. And then in the Old Testament, with the widow and, and uh, Elijah, when she knew he was a man of God, he was a prophet, she called him that, but she didn't have much belief in him. She just called him that out of reverence and respect. And they spent some time together. And her son died. And she got all upset, and she said, Have you killed my son to, to make me aware of my sin? And he told her to go out and raise this boy, however old he was, back to life. And he brought him to her and said, Look, here's your son, alive and well. And then she says, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord you're preaching from your mouth is truth so there's this continuation here okay those that consider themselves cessationists could probably point to scriptures that would seem to support their position and i can see that point based on the few scriptures that they want to limit themselves to but on the other hand if you look at jesus okay there's a section in matthew in 13 uh two verses 57 to 58 and Jesus is talking about this, and he says to these people, 
a prophet, in other words, me, but not just me, he said, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, in this case being Nazareth, and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there. Okay, so again, it says, a prophet is not without honor. Everybody at least honors the prophet. They know that he's a man of God. That was the title, an alternate, alternative title to prophet of God was a man of God. I know that you were a man of God. Didn't honor him. They didn't heed or receive the words as being trustworthy. He was not able, through their lack of faith, to do many mighty works there. So you see all this connection between the uh, and the correlation between uh, the the word spoken, the truth, the Bible, the words of Jesus' own mouth, and he is the word, to signs and wonders accompanying those. The signs and wonders back in Mark, Mark, Mark uh, 16, 20, to confirm the message by accompanying signs. Okay. And they couldn't, he couldn't do many mighty works there and where they didn't believe in him and didn't trust and receive his word because of their unbelief or their lack of trust. Now that does more than suggest a lack of faith. It flat out declares. That's why they didn't witness many signs and wonders at all. Now, we here in America and some other places around the world we have medicine and technology and convenience and money, etc. We're very blessed in that aspect. But because of that, we tend, when we have a need, to turn to these things that we have at our disposal. And that's okay to some degree because God has blessed us with these good things. However, I also believe strongly that this is also a hindrance for us. And the reason I say that, okay, we got to look, we tend to look at, to these things first rather than Jesus. Why? Because we have them, okay? In other words, I'm trying to get you to see in my lack of being able to articulate it well is that the cessationists believe that the gifts of the, the miraculous gifts and healings and all those things don't exist anymore. And then the word says that the reason for the miracles was because of it was supposed to be a testimony or bear witness to or give validity to or verify the words are being spoken, not just by Jesus, but by the prophets and the disciples and the apostles. So I can see them getting at that, uh, getting to that conclusion. Now, here in America and other places, like I said, we are very blessed, materially speaking. And that's a great thing because God gives us all good things to enjoy, Scripture says, but it's also a, a, a bad thing, a hindrance to us, or can be, because when we have these things at our disposal, we look to those things rather than looking to the Lord. Okay, what about... Oh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Can you understand that? Can you see that? Have you witnessed that in your own life? Whether we realize it or not... We don't seem to need faith because we have these things. When we try them and they don't produce the desired results, then and only then do we seek God, if we do it all, and try to 
activate some faith. Now, what do other people in other parts of the world do without the things that we have? Just maybe, just maybe, they witness miracles. Why? Because they're not blessed or they don't have the hindrance of, in some ways, of material blessings. They're not rich like we are. So instead of saying, I don't need to go to God or I'll go to him later if these other things don't work, they're really trusting these things first. And I'm guilty of it to some degree. Um, but we need to go to Jesus. Now, you could say Jesus had given us these things. Maybe he wants us to use those. Yeah, and some thought, but not to put so much faith in them and not to say that they are the first go-to or they are... Uh, they bypass the need for God altogether. That, that's completely wrong. And um, so maybe these people that don't have the things that we have, maybe they see miracles because they've got God and that's all they have and that's all they really need. So they see miracles. We see, so, 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 so God is showing me, maybe the reason cessationists are what they are is not for the reason they say they are. Maybe if God exposed their motives in their hearts, and I'm not blaming them. I'm just, I could be just like that too. And maybe I am to some degree. Maybe he's trying to get them to say, you know what, the reason you're not seeing miracles is not because they were just for the people way back when, you know, in Jesus' day and the first 100, 200 years after that. Maybe the main or only reason that you're not seeing miracles here is because you don't tend to need them, because you've got technology. You've got other things at your disposal, money and stuff like that, and so you can go to those things, and a lot of times they will produce the results that you want. But only when you don't have them and you go to God, maybe that's when you see the miracles. So maybe they haven't ceased. Maybe we just don't have them here because we're placing our faith in the things and in these other means rather than in the Lord. These people... In the States, even in the States, they, they attribute something to a miracle. Maybe they'll say, oh, that was a miracle, but they don't attribute it to Jesus. You know, they'll talk about what a miracle that was, but then they don't follow it up by saying, truly, God is the one that's done this. Because really, miracles are things that humans can't do. Not only can they not explain them, but they are not capable of doing them. That's why they're called miracles by definition. But if they stop short of giving glory to God, they'll just say, in their minds and hearts at least, I don't know what caused this, but it's not human, you know, so I didn't do it, but they're not really ready to give grace, uh, accolades to God, so they'll just say, it's a miracle. Well, if you're going to say it's a miracle, and humans can't do it, well, it's not an animal, who else do you give glory to? Okay, well, go ahead and finish the statement by saying, it's a miracle. Thank God that he smiled upon us, that he showed us his grace and power, but they don't do that. Okay, and, and so there is no, when they call it a miracle, but they don't attribute the glory that, to Jesus that he deserves, no faith is required there. They've just been, they think, recipients of, or witnesses of grace. <laughs> they might not realize it at that, or they don't call it that, they don't ascribe it to God, but they know that they've just been the blessed recipients, you know, of something wonderful. But it's not a matter of faith. They just say it's a miracle. Now, when our Lord 
was asked, let, let, let's take this, okay? I mean, this is where the Lord is leading us. When our Lord was asked by Mary, by his mother, at a wedding in Cana, you'll remember, to perform a miracle, he instructed some servants there at the wedding to fill some urns or big, large jugs with water. You remember that. Then, when more wine was needed at the celebration, because they ran out of the, the, what they started with, Jesus told them to start pouring out of the water jugs. And it had been turned into wine. Do you remember that? Now, you can read that in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Water, ordinary water, had been transformed into wine. And this is where God is taking us, okay? They were, they were there. They were the witnesses of it. Not just the pourers of it, but Mary and some of the other disciples were there. There was an obvious and objective and verifiable change that had taken place. And it was clearly for the better. Stay with me here. God's showing us something. There's a, pro a progression to this. Now in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we find another instance of a miraculous sign and wonder. And you probably remember, that, probably remember this too. Peter and John were at the temple, and before they got in, they ran across a lame man who'd been lame since birth, okay? And he was asking for alms, and they said, you remember, silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we gladly give you. And then in the name of Jesus, okay, they were his proxies, okay, in the name and in the power or authority of Jesus, they healed a lame man who had been that way since birth. And the scripture tells us in uh, chapter 4, verse 22, that he was now more than 40 years old. Now again, just like the wedding at Cana, okay, the water turned into wine. And there were people that, that witnessed it. There was a transformation, and it was a clear and obvious thing. Once it was water, now it's wine. Okay? Scriptures, miracles, signs, and wonders. Now, the fact that the man was lame since birth, and now he was more than 40 years old, and now he could get out and walk, and scripture even says that he got up, stood on his feet, rejoicing, and hopped around and everything when they went into the temple, okay? All the people there, all the people, witnessed this, including the priests and the Sadducees. There was a clear, once again, a clear, obvious, objective, and verifiable difference in the man's physical condition. Everybody saw it, and everybody acknowledged it, too. Even if they didn't believe in Jesus, even if they didn't like the apostles and who they represented, they said that a miracle and sign of wonder has taken place. We can't deny it. We've seen it with our own eyes, okay? They said a wonderful change had taken place, and it was undeniable. So, water into wine, undeniable change. Verifiable by many people. Now we see a lame man since birth, now over 40 years old, been healed in the name and the power of Jesus, total transformation, legs and, and, and feet and ankles and everything made strong. Everybody saw it, even those that were against the word, they saw it that, and they verified and they witnessed the fact that a transformation, a change had taken place for the better once again. A third example. Scripture tells us how Bartimaeus was a blind man and therefore also, by necessity, a beggar. 
And this is recorded in Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. His disciples were there, as were many others, Scripture tells us. Those close to, close to Christ and those following from a distance were right there to see this. There was no denying it. What am I talking about? As soon as the Lord said to him, he said, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And it says, And immediately this man, Bartimaeus, recovered his sight and followed Jesus on the way. So once again, the fact that a miracle slash sign slash wonder had occurred was a clear, obvious, objective, and verifiable happening. A transformation had taken place and everybody once again witnessed it. Water to wine, lame man can now walk, blind man can now see. Miracles, signs, and wonders, and they give witness and they bear witness to the veracity or the, the, the validity of the word. And that everybody saw it is undeniable. And it was a change for the better. Now in the Gospels, three, three of four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all bear witness to another miracle, sign, and wonder. The fact that a man, naked, living in a cemetery, wild and possessed and tormented horribly, had so many demons inflicting him day in and day out that the demons called themselves collectively by the name of the word legion. Now, this was a term of military familiarity then, and it referred to a division of the Roman army consisting of 6,000 inf infantrymen. Now, does that mean he had 6,000 demons? I doubt it, but it's just saying, it's, it's like when we say many or multitude, we don't have to say a specific number. It just means, man, there are many, many, many demons <laughs> in you. He called himself Legion. Now, Mark 3... No, excuse me, Mark 5, 3 through 5, says that every, says what everyone, I can't talk, says what everyone who lived there knew and observed. Why? Because it happened day in and day out. They lived there, they saw this going on all the time. But scripture says, he had lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Verse 8 tells us Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now there were pigs nearby, and they asked Jesus, they knew that he was going to not put up with what they were doing to this poor man, so they begged him to be cast into the pigs, and so out of his mercy, he did that. Now, remember, pigs were unclean animals to the Jews, so the fact that he sent them into pigs is, you know, no, not a big deal. It was for them, you know, but um, the, the, the demons were cast out of him. Verses 14 and 15 say the herdsmen, okay, the herdsmen are the shepherds of the pigs. They fled when they saw it. They told it in the city and they told it in the country. The exact words. And it says, and people came to see. So verse 15 is the testimony of the people. 
It says, And they came to see Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there, okay, not wild and running around cutting himself anymore, clothed and not naked anymore, and instead of crazy and wild and possessed, in his right mind. Yet again, that a miracle, sign, wonder had happened and was witnessed firsthand by many, undeniable. A clear, obvious, objective, and verifiable transformation had occurred and was publicly acknowledged by a multitude of people. Now, the Lord's progressing. Regardless of whether miracle signs and wonders still happen, and no, it's not trivial, but for the sake of this argument or this, this message from the Lord, what's more important, the Lord told me plainly, and so I'll tell you plainly, and it both convicted me and it gave me great joy, is for us to realize, okay, drum roll, that we... The body of Christ are living signs and wonders. Okay, why is that a big deal? Okay, we like they attest to the truth. And like the miracle signs and wonders, we, we give validity to it. Just like the miracle signs and wonders do. We do it with our words of witness and our testimonies. And most importantly, our walks, our ongoing walks that are seen and observed by the multitude around us every day. It's not a small change, or a timid witness, or a world-mirroring Christian life, and I think this is more to the point of what God's getting at, but that a life, heart, mind, soul, body, and daily walk that is an ongoing Obvious, clear, objective, acknowledged, and verifiable change and transformation has taken place in us. Do you see the Lord's message? Do you see his, his building up to this? Do you see how it all flows and connects? He's saying, reminding us, telling us, that when miracle signs and wonders take place, they are there for the purpose of giving validation to what we live and speak and preach and mirror and live out in front of other people. Miracle signs and wonders are not for people to see and go, wow, and follow Jesus around until he stops doing them, and then the, you know, the fireworks were over, or the magic show was over, and they lose interest and go home. No, Jesus said the, the reason for the miracles and signs and wonders in Mark 16, 20 were to give validity to the the word that was being preached, just like today, except even if we don't have miracles, signs, and wonders, even if I'm wrong about the fact that they, I'm not a cessationist, they, the fact remains, what's the, the most important thing is, like the water that had turned into wine, a clear change had taken place. Not only that, but it was a radical change. Not just clear water to red wine or whatever it was, something very obvious, but it was also a molecular change, something vastly different from what it started out to be. And it was witnessed by many, many people, not by one or two. Okay, and then the next one that came, and then the next one that came, and the next one that came. Okay, they're all clear, vivid transformations from one thing, not subtly into something else. But one minute it's this, the next minute, the next day, it's this. And there's a clear change, a massive, radical, obvious to see 
change, a noticeable, verifiable change in the way you live and act and walk and you hunger and thirst for righteousness instead of the old things you used to follow after. That's the Christian life. And God is saying, you know what? That's the important thing. Okay? And the you, we, if we're in Christ, are living signs and miracles and wonders. Why? Because we bear witness to in our hearts, in our words, and the things we do and don't do anymore, the thing, the way we dress and don't dress anymore, the things we watch and don't watch anymore, the things we listen to and don't listen to anymore, the way where our character has changed, the way our demeanor has changed, where our speech has changed. Even if we're growing in Christ, initially and going forward, there is a clear uh, objective, not subjective, objective, verifiable, vast difference that has taken place. And not only that, that everybody around notices it. That's how clear it is. Okay? The, 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 in Scripture, does it, ever, does it ever mention the fact that the wine turned back into water? Did it ever say the man, when he got his, his ability to stand and walk, went back to being lame? Does it ever say that Bartimaeus went back to being blind? Does it ever say that, uh, that this man in the tombs went back to cutting himself and screaming and being naked and living in the tombs and being wild? No, it doesn't, okay? And so why do we as Christians, when we've been changed radically, when we've been transformed by the word and the power of God, why is it that we allow ourselves to be tempted to, and even in some degree actually do, start to turn back to what we were before the radical transformation takes place? That ought not to be, brothers and sisters. That can't be. And there's an awful lot of that going around. And that saddens the heart of God and probably does more than that, probably riles them up a good bit. Remember when Jesus said in Revelation to one of the churches, Laodicea, he said, you're lukewarm. In other words, what happened to you? You know, you were on fire for me. You know, he said, you have, you have forgotten the love you had at first. Okay, get that back. Get that perspective back. He said, you're lukewarm. You know, if you were cold on one side or hot on the other, you know, that would be okay with me, you know, but instead you're lukewarm, you know, you've taken your transformation and allowed it to go back to the way it was before it even happened, so much so that I can see that the change is no longer there, or at least it's hard to see. Where did, when did that transformation, why didn't it last? What happened? And that's not Jesus's fault, you know, it's our fault. We are supposed to be holy as he is holy. And even Peter says we do this in all our conduct. That's in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 and 4, they tell us the what. You shall not intermarry with them, the unsaved world, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. That's the what. And verse 6 tells us the why. For you are not an unsaved people. It doesn't say, but it says, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord of God has chosen you to be a people for his own treasured possession. James 1.27, what does that say? He commands us in the second part of the verse, keep oneself, keep yourself unstained from the world. 
let that transformation last. Don't hang around the world so much and do the things they do and be enamored by what they do and listen to and watch and all that, that you look like them more than you do the radical t transformation that took place. Now this is when, this is what was meant by the command not to intermarry, okay? This is not some sort of racial segregation at all, despite what some people sometimes say. This is a much earlier proclamation, you'd say, or even prophecy of what was restated in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16 in the New Testament. It says, do not, do not, this is the command again, in other words, in Deuteronomy, he said, you shall not intermarry with, in other words, don't yoke yourself together with these people. And in the New Testament, it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Do you see that? There's words like yoked, partnership, fellowship, accord, portion, share, agreement, okay, they all are synonyms. So this verse is lamenting the fact that it's happened, and it's going back to say, don't do this. Don't let your transformation lose and go back to what it was before it even happened, or at least let it not be so unnoticeable that it's like it never happened. And this takes some self-examination, and it takes the Lord, or maybe some other people around you, or a good accountability partner, or your wife, or your husband that know you well, okay, that they that can honestly say this to you, if you honestly make yourself unoffended and undefensive by hearing this, because it's truth, and we need to hear it, okay? Deuteronomy says, you shall not intermarry with them. And then 2 Corinthians says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Don't have partnership with them. Don't have fellowship with them. Don't have accord with them. Don't have, what portion do you share with them? What agreement do you have with them? That doesn't mean you can't talk to them sometimes. But it doesn't mean you need to have close contact on a regular, ongoing basis, whether they're family or not, okay? They are still under the wrath of God because they have not been saved like we have, and that's nothing we can brag about. We can shout hallelujah that it's happened. But if they don't want to receive this, it's funny, I read the other day where Paul even said, do you not, it's, you don't judge yourself worthy of being saved? And I thought that was a very interesting way to put it because, you know, the people that reject the Bible instead of, you know, or reject the Word or love their sin too much is what it is, and they don't want to submit to God. They don't want to change their lives. They don't want to give up their lifestyle because they enjoy the sin. Jesus said that in John 3, 18, 19, right around in there. He said, this is the verdict or this is the judgment. The Son of God has come, the light has come into the world. People have rejected it. Why? Because they love their sins. They love the darkness more than they love the light. So, we have to take the water in our lives that's been turned into wine. We have to take the lameness of our lives that's turned to 
walking, dancing, and jumping up and down. We have to take the blindness of our lives that was our lives and be glad that we can now see. And it has to be such a stark difference that people can notice it. You can't hide that. Just like Jesus said, you're the, the, uh, you're the light in the room. You don't put it under a basket. You put it on a stand for everybody to see. You're a city on a hill. What does that mean? Okay, well, you're on a hill. It's not. There's no trees or anything else disguising it. You're on the high point. People can see that. Well, that's what they need to do here, too. Our lives have to be like that. We've been radically transformed. It's obvious to all. It's clear, objective, obvious, verifiable, acknowledged, and many people have seen it, whether they like us or not. That's the way our lives are supposed to be. And if they're not, they need to get back to that point. And we need to seek the Lord and let him happen. We need to repent genuinely, be contrite and broken for our sinfulness, that we've let the world around us rub off on us. And we've this, the line we had in the sand that we said we wouldn't cross, we've crossed. Or we've dipped our feet across it a few times, or too many times. Not that we're not Christians anymore, but we've lost our transformation. We look more like the water than the wine. We look more like the lame man than the one that jumps. We look more than the we look more like the blind man than the one that, that got his sight back. We look more like the guy who was cutting himself and running around naked and crazy in 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 the tombs rather than the guy that had his right mind and was clothed and and was quiet. The transformation has to show. Do you see that if you have been recently saved and baptized, there should be a marked difference in your life? Now, a lot of people get baptized. A lot of people respond to something that the, the pastor says that may, may give you a feeling or maybe you just thought you should respond or maybe the other people went that you knew and you felt like I needed to do it because if I don't I'm going to look odd like I kind of did when I was a Catholic and I was expected to get confirmed. These were all my high school or junior high school friends. You know, if that's what you did, I wasn't going to be the only one to say no because then everybody started asking why, right? Well, it didn't mean anything to me anyway, so I just went ahead and did it. It didn't change my life. Why? Because I just didn't have any power behind it. There was no gospel there. And I don't say it to be mean. It's just true. Okay, but I, but if you've been saved, supposedly, or you think you have, and you've been baptized, there should be a marked difference in your life. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. All those things. Okay? That's not your normal life. Okay, That's a big difference. Okay, You're a chosen race by him. Okay, We're a royal priesthood. We're kings and queens and princes and princesses of the Most High God. We're, we're a, not a lame, casual nation. We're a, a sinning nation. We're a holy nation, a group of people, a congregation, a church. Okay, We're a people not for the world. We're a people for God's own possession. And not only that, why? Why? That we may proclaim the excellencies of him, Jesus, who, again, called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's a transformation. That's noticeable. It's clear. It's undeniable. It's objective. Do you notice all those extremes? God is not a gray God. He is light, not darkness. There's nothing in between. 
He is life, not death, nothing in between. He is faithful and covenantal, not casual or into comfort, as a lifestyle or a character trait or a mindset or a heart attitude, nothing in between. And if you have been definitely born again, genuinely born again, but don't appear to yourself or to others to have been transformed, or your current life doesn't reflect that clear, obvious, objective, and verifiable change or transformation, then I can tell you why. You're not in the Word like you should be. The Word is what transforms your life, your heart, your mind. Romans 12.2, which you probably heard before, is so true, brothers and sisters. Remember what it says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Paul is noticing the same thing I'm talking about that God is telling me and I'm telling you. Okay, We're not to be conformed to the world. We've been transformed. We're not to let our wine turn back into water. Water's of the world. Wine is of the kingdom, metaphorically speaking, figuratively speaking. Okay, We're not blind. We can see. Okay, we're not lame. We can jump and stand and, and, and dance around. Okay, there's a clear, verifiable, objective, seen by many people, noticed, witnessed, acknowledged by many people. Okay, and that doesn't happen by being conformed to the world. It happens by being transformed by the renewal of our mind through Scripture, through the Word, through Jesus. This is what God's telling us, brothers and sisters. The Messiah Jesus felt the need and so admonished the people then, and so lovingly warns and rebukes, honestly, us today. Remember in John 15, verses 4 through 7, he says, Abide in me. Now, abide means stay, remain, live, dwell, be there for a while, don't go anywhere. Abide in me, and I in you. Remember, Jesus is the Word. So again, he's saying, abide in me, abide in my Word, and it will abide in you. He said, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, you get out of the Word, you look like the world. You go back to being water and blind and lame. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, and I'll add, Neither can you live a holy, clearly transformed life. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, if we're true Christians, we're not going to be gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Unless we get to the point where we walk away from God altogether. And that does happen. That's called falling away. It's called apostasy. We're not going to be thrown into the fire, meaning hell, if we remain 
stay, dwell, abide in Him, we are believers, but to the degree, listen here, to the degree that you remain in Him and His Word, you will either resemble the world, its habits, its speech, and hobbies, and devotions, along with its casual attitude toward God, or you will be noticeably transformed and seen by all, especially, especially your Savior. To the degree that you remain in Him, brothers and sisters, and His Word, if you remain, stay, dwell, abide in Him, to the degree that you remain in Him and His Word, if you don't do it, you're going to resemble the world, its habits, its speech, its hobbies, and devotions, and casual attitude. And I see it all the time. Or, if you stay in His Word, you will be noticeably, visibly acknowledged to your transformation. And you're going to be seen by all, especially your Savior. No more lukewarmness. He won't say, I have to spit you out. But he'll say, you're cold, you're hot. Okay. Now, what does Scripture say? We are in the world, but we're not of the world. So we should look quite different. Amen? Amen? We should be a pleasing aroma, not a stench in God's figurative nostrils. Now let me say this, this is not a stinging condemnation from a man. Who am I? This is a judgment from our maker. And by judgment, I mean the decision made after having seen and evaluated the evidence, meaning our lives and their fruit. As Paul told Timothy to fan into flame the gift that was given him. You remember that? We are to fan the light of our flame from a little flicker into something to be put on a lampstand that can be seen on a hill. It's clear, obvious, objective, acknowledged, verifiable, and a transformation. This, brothers and sisters, glorifies God and draws others to repentance and salvation. Let's earnestly, and me too, let's earnestly say to the Father, like David did in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is part of your self-examination. It has to go beyond yourself. It has to be a God examination. David said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting now if you look this up in your bible and i hope you do psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 you'll see that these three points know my heart know my thoughts lead me in the way everlasting they're all followed by exclamation points. Don't ever let your wine even appear to turn back into water. Or 
to return to being or appearing to be blind again or lame again. Don't be casual. Be holy and be light as he's called us to be and made us to be. Please. May the Spirit of God speak plainly to you. Amen.